danger. The emergency destruct system is now activating. The ship will detonate in T minus 10 minutes. The option to override automatic detonation expires in T minus 5 minutes. Eat, sleep, links, repeat. Oh, let's party! This is the Atari Lynx Handicast. This is episode 08, Xenophobe. And here again is your host, Mark Little. Thank you, Monty. And while you're at it, can you manually override the automatic detonation sequence, please? It's a little annoying. override of the automatic self-destruct detonation has been completed. For what it's worth. Thanks a lot. Say, Monty, are you okay? You've been sounding a little down lately. I'm in sad shape. Hmm. What seems to be your trouble, Monty? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on the internet, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can figure out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypogeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aleurophagia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Or maybe you have thalassophobia. This is the fear of the ocean. Or jephorophobia which is a fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have xenophobia. Do you think you have xenophobia? What's xenophobia? The fear of alien creatures. That's it. Well, fear not, my fine feathered friend. I have an outlet for you to channel that xenophobia. And that outlet is the game I'm covering in this episode today. In fact, the game is well known as one of the best space shoot-em-ups on the Atari Lynx. Part number PA2026, Xenophobe, released by Atari in August of 1990. Oh, hooray, and tiddle de This episode includes details about the gameplay, music, and sound effects for Xenophobe, as well as a few reviews of the game, some rarity scores, some prices and values, and some trivia about Xenophobe. Plus, I have some insightful feedback about Xenophobe from a few of my loyal listeners. But first, how does one pronounce the title of this game? Well, I know that in America it's generally pronounced Xenophobe, with the long Z. 
But in the rest of the English-speaking world, and most notably within the UK and its former colonies, such as Australia, India, and Canada, it's generally pronounced xenophobe with a short Z or Z. Now, I'm an American through and through, but I actually prefer the British pronunciation, xenophobe, just because Z sounds so horribly horizontal to my musically trained ear. Xenophobe is the correct pronunciation, so bully for you. Right you are, Monty. But I do know one thing. I have never heard anyone pronounce it ex-xenophobe. And I hope I never do. Linkstin. There's only one Linkstin note in this episode, but it's one I really want all of you Lynx collectors out there to pay attention to. Igor at Atari Gamer has done a fantastic job at creating and implementing a new tool for us collectors. The Collection Tracker, which will record, track, and complete your Atari Lynx collection. All of the game database entries are available for tracking your carts, boxes, manuals, and posters, or whether you have a given game new in the box, NIB. You can also track the health and condition of the boxes, manuals, and posters. It's really a cool tool for knowing what you have, or still need to get, in your collection. And it provides a handy, see what I did there, stats at a glance box. Best of all, it doesn't require any logins or passwords to use it. Please be sure to check it out at atarigamer.com. Okay, you festers and snotter pillars, it's time for us to dive right into today's game, Xenophobe. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Oh, hold on, hold on one second. This installation has a substantial dollar value attached to it. They can bill me. Okay, look. This is an emotional moment for all of us, okay? I know that. But let's not make snap judgments, please. This is clearly an important species we're dealing with, and I don't think that you or I or anybody has the right to arbitrarily exterminate them. Come on. Yeah, watch us. Hey, maybe you haven't been keeping up on current events, but we just got our asses kicked, pal. Look, I'm not blind to what's going on, but I cannot authorize that kind of action. I'm sorry. Well, I believe Corporal Hicks has authority here. Corporal Hicks's. This operation is under military jurisdiction, and Hicks is next in chain of command. My right, Corporal. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Look, Ripley, yes. this is a multi-million dollar installation, okay? He can't make that kind of decision. He's just a grunt. I, no offense. None taken. Pharaoh, do you copy? Standing by. Prep for dust off. We're gonna need immediate evac. Roger. On our way. I say we take off, nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Vital statistics. Xenophobe was released by Atari in August of 1990 at an initial retail price of $34.99 US. Xenophobe is a stereo curved lip style cartridge. I think it's 128K, but I can't find confirmation of that. 
It is a side-scrolling platform multi-level action shooter for one player or two to four players using the Comlinks cable. The screen play field orientation for Xenophobe is landscape or horizontal. Xenophobe for the Lynx is based on the 1987 Xenophobe arcade cabinet by Bally Manufacturing Corporation. The original arcade game could be played by three players at the same time, with each player controlling their character independently in one of three horizontal levels across the screen's playfield. In the Lynx screen's playfield, only one horizontal level is shown at a time to the player, or to each of up to four players in a multiplayer game, and the elevator is used to travel between the levels. Xenophobe was also ported to the Commodore Amiga, the Amstrad CPC, the Atari VCS or 2600, the Atari 7800, the Atari ST, the Commodore 64, the Nintendo Entertainment System, and the ZX Spectrum. There are 23 single or multi-floor space stations or levels in Xenophobe. The carton for Xenophobe is a full-color standard tab regular size carton, 5 and 3 8 inches high by 4 and 3 8 inches wide by 7 8 inches deep. I'll describe the front of the carton for Xenophobe. The background of the front cover is black. At the top, in white capital block lettering, is the title Xenophobe, registered trademark. Below the title, taking up most of the front of the carton, is the cover art depicting an ominous-looking alien creature facing directly ahead. The skeletal creature is gray and black, and it's highlighted in purple by an off-camera light source on the right. The creature is obviously inspired by the creatures created by famous Swiss painter H.R. Geiger for the movie Alien in 1979, creatures which were also seen in the many sequels to that movie. The cover art is surrounded by a pink outline. Across the bottom of the carton is the standard gray and black cartouche that includes the Atari Fuji logo and name in white on the left corner, oriented vertically, with the Lynx yellow and red broken font logo taking up most of the top of the cartouche. Below the Lynx logo are the words Video Game Card in white block letters. The entire cartouche is also outlined in pink. This carton does not include the standard gray vertical band with faux embossed Lynx font X's along the right hand side seen on earlier cartons. Finally on the front there is a larger Atari Fuji logo in white on the bottom left corner. At the bottom right corner is a yellow triangle banner with the words 1 to 4 players in black block lettering, capital, with the Lynx broken font lettering in black below that, then the word UP in broken font lettering in black below that, also in capital. All of the verbiage in the yellow triangle is oriented facing up at a 45 degree angle. The back of the carton is laid out like this. The background is white. At the top of the title, again in capital block lettering, spelling out Xenophobe registered trademark, this time in pink. Below the title, taking up most of the rear of the carton, is a box outlined in pink which includes two screenshots from the game, oriented side by side. Each screenshot is also outlined in pink. The left screenshot displays a spaceship as it approaches a space station in the distance, as depicted in the in-game cutscene at the beginning of each level. The right screenshot displays one of the in-game outdoor scenes showing a player, the blonde female Dr. Pink, battling a couple of critters and a snotter pillar as she enters a bunker on the right of the screen. I'll have more information about the critters, snotter pillars, and other creatures in the Playing the Game segment coming up. Also seen on the ground in this screenshot are a laser pistol, as well as a mobile weapons valet. Well, that's what I call it. The manual makes no mention of what they're actually called. It's a little white rolling robot that scrolls through the levels picking up weapons dropped by the player or players. Below the screenshots are the words Leapin' Lizards in large pink italicized capital block lettering. Below that are two brief paragraphs. K 
Can this motley crew of Xeno exterminators wipe out the hordes of alien creatures aboard the infested space stations? Hurry up and blast away or your mission may end in a blizzard of ooze. You and up to three of your friends can links up for a multiplayer frenzy. Choose your character, find the weapons, and zap the Xenos. Below these paragraphs in larger black lettering is the bullet pointed phrase up to four player comlinks capability. Below this phrase, straddling the bottom line of the pink outlined box, is a small version of the standard gray and black cartouche from the cart in front that includes the Atari Fuji logo and name in white on the left corner, oriented vertically, with the Lynx yellow and red broken font logo taking up most of the top of the cartouche, and the words video game card in white block letters below the Lynx logo. The entire cartouche is again outlined in pink. At the lower left of the carton is the Atari Fuji logo in black. At the bottom center of the carton is the following copyright info. Atari, the Atari logo, and links are trademarks or TMs of Atari Corporation. Xenophobe, registered trademark, copyright 1987, Bally Manufacturing Corporation, all rights reserved. Licensed through Midway Manufacturing Company, a subsidiary of WMS Industries Incorporated, licensed to Atari Corporation, copyright 1990, Atari Corporation, Sunnyvale, California, 94089-1302. Finally, at the bottom center, all rights reserved, printed in Hong Kong and made in China. Then, as usual, the official seal of the FBI appears on the right bottom of the carton, bracketed at the top by the usual phrase, winners don't use drugs, and at the bottom with the name William S. Sessions, Director FBI. The instruction manual for Xenophobe is a stapled, regular-sized booklet in monochrome, measuring the usual 4 and 7 eighths inches high by 3 and 3 quarters inches wide. There are 24 pages in the manual, including the front and back covers. Across the top of the front page of the manual is the standard Atari Lynx logo, outlined as usual in light red, with the Atari Fuji logo bracketing the Lynx logo at the left. Beneath the logo are the words Video Game Manual. Down the right-hand side of the manual is a gray vertical band with faux-embossed Lynx font X's. The cover art is a monochrome version of the carton cover art with the title Xenophobe Registered Trademark superimposed over the top of the cover art in large white block capital lettering. Inside the front cover are several paragraphs of boilerplate info about the accuracy of the printed manual. Halfway down on the page are the Atari Registered Trademark info with the Bally and Midway copyright info below that. And at the bottom of the page is the Atari Fuji logo with the Atari Corporation copyright information. The next two pages, labeled pages 1 and 2, include five paragraphs that describe the setting and goal of the game, all under the heading Terror in Space. A team of space mechanics sent to repair the planet's vital space stations sent a frantic signal for help. No one could understand the message. It was thought that they had run out of supplies or air or maybe that the temperature control systems on the space stations had failed, resulting in intense heat and bone-splitting cold. Until one day, unexpectedly, one of the maintenance transport craft returned, flown only by one man. He was severely wounded. The tale he told was one of terror. He told of strange creatures that took over the space stations and began to breed. He described strange eggs hatching into pods. The pods turned into skin-sucking critters and ultimately into nasty, spitting snotter pillars. When asked about his companions, he could not answer. His face twisted in terror. He collapsed to the floor. With his last breath, he gasped the word everybody on the planet dreaded. Xenos. Xenos, the creatures of nightmare. 
when the planet was first settled, the new colonists were attacked by those hideous creatures from the outer worlds. Only after suffering heavy casualties were the colonists able to fight off the Xenos. Since then, frequent attacks had caused the people of the planet to protect themselves by developing a complex system of space stations to warn of Xeno attacks. But now Xenos have overrun the space stations and the planet is in grave danger. The Xenos could use the artificial climate of the stations to become used to the planet's atmosphere and temperatures. If the Xenos could successfully adapt for permanent life on the planet, then humankind is in jeopardy. It happened on the old world, Earth. Now it could happen on the new world. An understaffed and ill-equipped group of space gladiators has been dispatched to exterminate the wicked menace. But even if they manage to locate and use the artillery scattered throughout the space stations, they may not be able to withstand the terror of what they are about to see. The people of the planet may have waited too long. It may be too late. It does sound a lot like Alien, doesn't it? Page 3 through the midpoint of page 4 includes getting started instructions, and the lower half of page 4 includes optional game controls. Pages 5 through 10 include playing the game instructions, beginning with a drawing of the Lynx 1 console labeled with each button's functions as it relates to Xenophobe. I'll go over those functions in the playing the game segment. The playing the game section of the manual includes info under the following headings. Elevator, destroying the Xenos, collecting hardware, weapons, machines, and danger to the player. Page 11 through the top of page 12 describes finishing the mission. The rest of page 12 through page 13 describe playing the Snotter Pillar. Page 14 begins a description of the screen with a drawing of what information each section of the screen provides. This description continues on to page 15. Page 16 through the top half of page 17 describes the Xenos. The lower half of page 17 through the top quarter of page 18 describes the space stations. The lower three quarters of page 18 outline game strategies. Page 19 through the top quarter of page 20 describe the scoring for killing aliens and picking up hardware. The inside back cover is blank. And finally, the back cover is mostly blank except for the Atari Fuji logo at the bottom with the Atari Corporation copyright information beneath that. My copy of the manual includes, at the very bottom of the back cover, printed in Hong Kong, GC 11.1990, then C398102-026. I assume this manual is from November of 1990. And as far as I can determine, the manual for Xenophobe released in the United States was available in an English-only version. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this brief advert. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving in. It ain't us. Get them out of there. 
How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. There's movement all over the place. Five meters, man. Four. Aliens. This time, it's war. Credits. Xenophobe was originally developed by Epix Incorporated, creator of the handy handheld console that later became the Atari Lynx. The licensee was the Midway Manufacturing Company. Gil Colgate was the programmer for the Lynx version of Xenophobe. He was born in 1960, later attended Yale University from 1978 to 82, and he worked in finance in New York before becoming disillusioned with corporate life and moving to California to work in games. His first project was a port of Balance of Power for the Apple II. He later worked at Epix, Electronic Arts, and Namco. To date, Gil's most well-received game was Pac-Man World for the PlayStation. He now works at EA and has contributed to Sims Pets and My Sims. Xenophobe was Gil's only game for the Atari Lynx. Phil Vaughn, or Philip Vaughn as he is sometimes credited, provided the artwork for Xenophobe. Besides this game, Phil also provided art and graphics for the later Lynx game Todd's Adventures in Slime World, which I'll be covering in episode 10. Christopher Grigg worked on the sound effects and music for Xenophobe. Besides this game, Christopher, or Chris, also provided sound design for the later Lynx game Todd's Adventures in Slime World. Thomas McDivitt is credited as a tester for Xenophobe. In addition to this game, Thomas also tested for the later Lynx game Todd's Adventures in Slime World. And finally, Tom Schumacher is also credited as a tester for Xenophobe. Schumacher also provided design assistance and testing for the Lynx games Blue Lightning, Electrocop, Chips Challenge, which I'll be covering in the next episode, and Todd's Adventures in Slime World. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this podcast promotion. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Playing the game. Xenophobe is a frightening game of outer space terror in which one to four players work to rid 23 multi-level space stations of creepy alien Xenos. That in a nutshell is the goal of the game, straight from the manual. After installing the Xenophobe cartridge and pressing the on button, the Xenophobe title screen appears. This screen starts in silent mode with a gray metallic industrial style control panel background. The title Xenophobe in large graduating capital letters colored in red, yellow, and orange appears across the top half of the screen. The lower half includes the Bally, Midway, and Atari copyright and licensing info in small blue block capital lettering. After only a few seconds, the screen switches to a cutscene with a young blonde woman 
in a revealing lime green bodysuit, ostensibly the character of Dr. Pink, against a black background moving into the shot from the left of the screen. As she moves across, she becomes startled to see a large white spotlight locking in on her. As she stands frozen against the wall in the spotlight, a large shadow begins creeping over her from the left of the screen, eventually revealing the silhouette of an alien creature with a long tail and a huge Tyrannosaurus-type mouth. There is a roar from the creature at this point. Then the titled Xenophobe, registered trademark, appears across the top third of the screen, again in large graduating capital letters, colored in red, yellow, and orange. The female remains frozen on the lower left of the screen, colored in various shades of blue due to her frozen stance in the shadow. To the right of the female, in small red block capital lettering, are the words Copyright 1987 Bally Manufacturing Corporation All Rights Reserved. At this point, a tinny, syncopated drum beat begins. After a few seconds, the copyright info is replaced in the same style of lettering with Licensed Through Midway Manufacturing Company. Then after a few seconds, that credit is replaced with a subsidiary of WMS Industries. Then a few seconds later with Licensed to Atari Corp also in capital red block lettering. Then the programming credits appear in succession in the same spot while the syncopated drum beat continues. Programmed by Gil Colgate, art by Phil Vaughn, and finally sound by Chris Grigg. A testing credit for Thomas McDivitt and Tom Schumacher does not appear in the game's credits. At this point, if no buttons are pressed, the screen loops through the company and individual credits repeatedly. Pressing A or B brings up the character selection screen, which has a brief musical loop that serves as really the only music in the game. player or players can scroll through and choose from nine different characters. Dr. Pink, a female with flowing blonde hair and green eyes. Mr. M. Brace, a brown-colored alien with white eyes. Colonel Schicken, an older male with white hair and a blue eye patch. Dr. Zorders, a younger blonde male with blue eyes. Mr. Ease, a green insect type with a green helmet and yellow antennae. Dr. Quack, a blue duck-billed alien. Mr. Fogg, a bald, pointy-headed scientist type with blue goggles. U2RB52, a white, round-headed robot with a sad look on his face. Here I am, brain the size of a planet, and they ask me to take you up to the bridge. Call that job satisfaction, because I don't. And finally, Colonel Truth, a military type with gray hair and a gray mustache. There is a tenth character, the Snouterpillar, one of the Xenos, which is only available in multiplayer games. Interestingly, the manual states there are eight characters to choose from plus the Snouterpillar, but it's actually nine plus the Snouterpillar. Any player who chooses the Snouterpillar as a character in a multiplayer game then becomes an adversary to the other players during gameplay, creating a challenging strategy for the other players. More about that a little later. Multiplayer Games in a multiplayer game where the participants are connected via the comlinks, all players must be on this screen before anyone can go on. The number of players appears beneath the title in the copyright information. All of the players need to make sure that all of the other players are accounted for before proceeding to the gameplay. 
Then one player should press the A or B button to advance to the next screen. The player or players press the A or B button at any time to advance to the character selection screen, then press right or left on the D-pad to scroll through the characters. Unavailable characters have a big red slash through their pictures. When the desired character is in the center of the screen, the player presses the A or B button to select the character and to begin the mission. The player will then see the spacecraft as it approaches the first space station. Then a transport disc launches from the spacecraft carrying the hero or heroes to their destination. When the transport disc docks with the space station, the player or players beam in and the game begins. Here's a layout of what the screen looks like while playing Xenophobe. Bombs. At the top right of the screen indicate the number of bombs left in the player's inventory, or the number of critters gnawing on the player's flesh. Oh, lovely. Location. At the top center shows the player's current location in the space station. The first number is the station number, and the next two numbers are the level and room numbers. Health units. At the lower left shows the player's remaining strength. When the health unit's number reaches zero, the player's character dies. The player may then select a new character and continue where he or she left off until the characters or lives are depleted. Score at the lower right displays the player's current score. Option 1 readout at the bottom left shows what will happen if a player presses the Option 1 button. If the readout says throw critter, for example, then pressing the Option 1 button will cause the character to throw the critter that is gnawing on him or her. Option 2 readout at the bottom right shows what will happen when the player presses the Option 2 button. This readout also identifies the item the player just picked up. Players can also use the Option 2 button to operate the jetpack. The main body of the screen shows the action of the player as he or she moves from room to room and level to level in each space station. Gameplay. Uh, the manual describes how to destroy Xenos. Basically, the player wanders through each space station and shoots the monsters. Picking up more powerful weapons and valuable hardware along the way help achieve that goal. Each space station has eight rooms per level. The rooms are divided by automatic doors. The doors open when the players approach them. Many space stations have more than one level. To move from one level to the next, the player needs to find an elevator. To call the elevator, the player needs to walk, float, or creep into the elevator compartment. The elevator will begin moving toward the current floor. The player then waits for the elevator to come. It could take a while, depending on the location of the elevator and the number of levels in the space station. When the player is inside the elevator, the Option 1 readout will display the words, Use Elevator. The player then presses the Option 1 button. And the Option 1 readout will display the directions the elevator can travel. The player then presses the D-pad up or down to move to the desired level, the space stations. Xenophobe, as I've mentioned, contains 23 stations, each containing anywhere from 1 to 5 levels. Some space stations were built with the same blueprints as the other stations. Players should learn to recognize the layout for each space station so that they can escape quickly if needed. There are always 8 rooms per level. The most hideous Xeno of all, the gross, disgusting, and dangerously despicable Mother Festor, lives on the final space station. Destroy the Mother Festor, and players can finally rid the universe of those ugly Xenos at last. Speaking of the Xenos, as stated, the first objective is to destroy all the aliens in a space station within the allotted time. Destroying a Xeno is horrifying, difficult work. Unless one uses the minimum amount of force to destroy a particular type of Xeno, the monster lives and continues to threaten the player or players throughout that level. Here's a list of the Xenos that players will encounter during gameplay, from minor threat to very dangerous. 
A pod. A pod is a hideous green spore that will hatch into a critter if not destroyed in time. Pods cannot attack until they hatch. To me, they look like a baseball catcher's mitt. Critter. A critter is a cross between a small three-legged squid and a scorpion. Critters latch onto their hapless victims and suck away at their skin. To me, they resemble a glove crawling across the floor. Roller baby. A roller baby is a thick-skinned cross between a large turtle and an armadillo. Yep, looks just like a green soccer ball. It rolls into a ball, then bowls over its victim. A tentacle. It's a long-reaching appendage of a horrifying creature hiding beneath the floors and above the ceilings. It wraps around the victim's head or arms and traps its prey. A snotter pillar. A very large, leaping, heavily armored creature, similar to a lizard and a caterpillar. Attacks either by jumping against its victim or by spitting slimy phlegm. And finally, a festor. A huge, menacing reptilian creature that waits in doorways and attacks without warning. A festor can paralyze its victim with a telekinetic gaze and it can also lay ball-like eggs which can knock down a hunter. The egg will eventually turn into a pod if not destroyed in time. Collecting hardware. Players can pick up any valuable hardware they find strewn about the station as they seek and destroy the Xenos. Some hardware can give bonus points or restore lost health points. Players will discover the functions of the other types of hardware as they gain experience. Weapons. Players begin the game with a phaser. It's a powerful enough weapon for hunting small rodents on the planet's surface, but it will hardly suffice for destroying hideous Xenos. Players should search for more powerful weapons as they seek out the Xenos, then pick up the weapons and use them to destroy them. Players can only hold one weapon at a time, so they need to make sure that they only switch weapons when the new weapon is more powerful than the one they're carrying. When the player picks up a new weapon, the current weapon will automatically drop. Players should be careful though. Sometimes weapons explode if dropped in doorways. Each weapon has a different power level and unlimited ammunition. Here's a list of the weapons in order of their effectiveness. Fists, the least effective weapon, a phaser, laser pistol, lightning rifle, poofer gun, and bomb, which is the most effective. Machines. The space stations contain a number of useful machines. To use a machine, the player stands in front of it. The option 1 readout will display Operate Machine. The option 2 readout may also display information to help use the machine. The player presses the indicated option button to operate the machine. Danger to the player. Xenos are not nice. They do horrible things that can cause serious harm to anyone they attack. Injuries to a player's character are measured in health units. Health units decrease when the character is attacked. Some Xenos latch onto the character and cause a certain amount of damage for each second that they are in contact with their victim. When a character's health reaches zero, the character dies, after which the player will be returned to the selection screen to select another character. In a single-player game, the player is allowed four lives. In a multiplayer game, players continue to select until all nine characters, ten if you count the snotter pillar, are used. Each player begins the game with 2,000 health units. A player can lose health units through the following injuries or attacks. A critter attack, a tentacle attack, experiencing a long fall, being hit by a rolling Zeno, being hit by spit or phlegm, being hit by a bomb, crash with a jetpack, or being hit by a leaping snotter pillar. Finishing a mission, there are three ways to clear a space station. Each of the three methods offers a greater reward than the one before. Method one is evacuation. If a player does not clear a space station in time, the Zenos overrun the station. 
The amount of time a player has to clear a space station depends on the difficulty level and other factors. If a player waits too long, the screen flashes and the player is automatically carried back to the spacecraft as the Xenos take over the space station and the station explodes. Method 2. Destruction. Players can destroy some Xenos, then use the self-destruct code to destroy the space station and everything in it. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. Players earn 100 bonus points for each Xeno destroyed when the station explodes. The player or players then return to the spacecraft and move to the next space station. And method 3, mission accomplished. This is the most desirable mission ending, and it ends with the total destruction of all the Xeno invaders and the safe recovery of the space station. Players receive a 300 point bonus for each monster they destroy plus a 200 point health bonus. Players then return to the spacecraft and move on to the next space station. Playing the Snotter Pillar. When playing Xenophobe with others, each player selects the role of one of the characters from the selection screen. Only one player may play the Snotter Pillar at a time. When playing the bad guy, the goal is to thwart your friend's plan to rid the space stations of the Xenos. As a Snotter Pillar, the player can accomplish this by attacking the other players, spitting at them, or stealing their weapons. The player can also jump on another character while he or she is in a doorway and watch as they drop their weapon, causing it to explode. And the player can pick up the hardware and weapons otherwise intended for the good guys, thereby forcing them to settle on less than maximum firepower. Playing the Snotter Pillar can also allow the player to drain away the health of the other players with a direct attack by jumping or spitting on them. But be careful. Remember that the Snotter Pillar is not invincible. The other players might find it advantageous to go on a traitor hunt for the Snotter Pillar. And if that player is killed, he or she will be out of the game for the rest of that particular level. Players taking on the role of the Snotter Pillar might find it wise to hang out with the other Snotter Pillars, finding strength in number and anonymity. If the other players don't know which Snotter Pillar is being controlled by another player, the Snotter Pillar's chances might be improved. After playing the Snotter Pillar for a round or two, a player might choose to switch sides and become a team member again, if one is still available. Controlling the Snotter Pillar. The player presses the D-pad left or right to make the Snotter Pillar hop in that direction. To increase speed, he or she holds down the B button while manipulating the D-pad. One of the Snotter Pillar's most revolting habits is spitting. To spit a glob of phlegm at one of the opponents, the player simply presses the A button. Finally, strategies for the game. The player's primary goal is to destroy Xenos as quickly as possible and thus secure the space station. Players should save their bombs for Snotter Pillar bunches. In a multiplayer game, players should split up to cover all the rooms more quickly. Players should work together on particularly nasty rooms. Players can save themselves by using self-destruct codes on the more difficult space stations. However, they should use these codes only as a last resort. Each station is an important piece of the planet's defense chain. Players need to master their bomb throwing technique as well, as bombs are highly effective. In multiplayer games, players should always watch out for their friends. They are not immune to bombs. And also remember that jetpacks are very effective against festors. And scoring. Players receive points for destroying aliens, picking up valuable hardware, or picking up health objects. They also receive bonus points for clearing or destroying a station. Here's a breakdown of the points awarded to players during gameplay. Killing a Fester, 250 points. Killing a Snotter Pillar, 150 points. Destroying a Tentacle or a Roller Baby, 100 points each. Killing a Critter, 75 points. Killing a Pod, 25 points. Picking up a Bomb, 100 points. Picking up Money, a Comlink, a Disc, 
Secret Paper or Tools is 90 points each. Picking up Comlink is 90 points. Picking up a bottle or knife is 80 points each. Picking up bones or a rope is 40 points each. Picking up a lab device is 30 or 90 points. Picking up fluid or vitamins is 30 points each. Picking up fluid, a pail, or vitamins is 48 health points. A station overrun yields 0 points. Initiating the self-destruct awards 100 points. And, of course, clearing the Zeno base awards 300 points per Zeno, plus 200 health points. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this brief advert. Here, in a world where the sun burns cold, and the wind blows colder, a visitor has come. But not by herself. It started. Come on! The suspense is back. And we have no weapons of any kind? The fear is back. Don't look back, dude! Run as fast as you can! And most of all, the bitch is back. Alien 3. Reviews and ratings. Generally, the reviews for Xenophobe, especially those for the game that were published more recently, ran from good to excellent. Here are some of the highlights of the reviews that I found. The review crew, Steve, Ed, Martin, and Sushi X, in Electronic Gaming Monthly Magazine, in issue number 14 of that magazine, from July of 1990, gave the following ratings for Xenophobe. Steve gave it a 5 rating, saying that at only 9 levels the game is too short. I'm not sure what version he was playing, as there are 23 levels. Ed gave the game a 6 rating, saying that it's a decent shooter. Martin gave it a 7 rating, saying that the Lynx version is so much better than the NES port. And Sushi X gave it a 6 rating, saying it was well done, although it's not his favorite game in any form. You can access a PDF of the original page from the magazine in the Lynx links. An unidentified reviewer in Computer and Video Games magazine in the January 1991 issue of that magazine gave Xenophobe a rating of 79% out of 100, saying that it's a fun little game and that the graphics and sound are both excellent, a fun game which offers plenty of entertainment. A PDF of the relevant page in the magazine can be found in the links links in the show notes. Les Ellis in the UK magazine Rays wrote a long review for Xenophobe in the February 1991 issue. He gave the game the following ratings out of 100%. For graphics, 94%. Saying, The best yet on the links. The aliens are absolutely gross. For sound, 84%. Saying, Great blasting sounds and general mayhem noises as the action hots up. 
For playability, he gave it 94%, saying, Incredibly addictive as you battle through the 23 stations. And for an overall score, he gave it 94%, saying, If you haven't gotten this for the links, you haven't lived. High praise indeed. You can find a PDF of Mr. Ellis's review in the links links. Keita Aida at Atari HQ gave Xenophobe the following ratings out of 10. For graphics, 8. For sound, 7. For gameplay, 8. And for an overall rating, 8 out of 10. You can find Aida's full review and ratings in the links links. Veteran writer Robert A. Jung's 1999 review of Xenophobe ends with this verdict. With its expanded gameplay and easy-to-use controls, Link's Xenophobe is arguably more fun than its arcade inspiration. Sound and graphics are more than acceptable, and the multiplayer cooperative possibilities are welcome. While some people may find the game a little repetitious, as a whole, this title is challenging, intriguing, and worth the money. Jung gives the game a rating of 8 out of 10, or great, and his full review is hyperlinked in the Link's Links. Trickster at Moby Games gave a mostly glowing review of Xenophobe in 2003, highlighting several good points about the game, along with one bad point. It retains the difficulty level of the arcade original game. Trickster summarizes the review with this. Even if you're not a fan of the arcade original, you owe it to yourself to get this if you own a Lynx. Multiplayer is a blast, and single player gives you enough continues that it stays fair longer. As always, the full review at Moby Games can be found linked in the links links in the show notes. Patrick O'Connor at Defunct Games wrote a review of Xenophobe in 2005 that says, in summary, I found myself enjoying the game quite a bit with its comic book feel, its challenging levels, and its great four-player comlinks ability. Not having to start from the beginning each time you die is especially a welcome addition to any game. He especially liked that the pulsing drum beat heard throughout the game would make a great bass line to any rap song. His review is linked in the links links too. Daniel Thomas McInnes wrote a brief review of Xenophobe in his Volume 4 blog page in 2006, saying, The Lynx version was a superb rendition of the arcade. Check out the full review at the links links in the show notes. Darren Jones in his 2008 review of Xenophobe in Retro Gamer Magazine wrote, Xenophobe turned out to be a surprisingly polished blaster that still holds up today. You know the drill. The full review is in the links links. Pluvius at Game FAQ summarized his 2008 review by saying, Xenophobe is well suited to the links, being fun to play for a free half hour, whether alone or with friends. He gave the game a rating of 3.5 out of 5, or good, and his full review is in the show notes under the links links. John Thomas Barnhart, known as BTB, the host of the Lynx Lounge, the Jagbar, and the 7800 Avenue on YouTube, summarized his 2016 video review of Xenophobe this way. So if you're looking to collect, or if you're just looking to play a great game, this game is a must-have. I would say this is on the top of my list. Links to both his Lynx Lounge video review of Xenophobe, as well as a text version of the same review, can be found in the Lynx Links. Last but not least, John McQueen, in his 2018 review of Xenophobe on AtariGamer.com, gave the game an overall rating of 9 out of 10. Here's his summary. Ultimately, there's a really fantastic game here, and one that is really individual in how it is presented, in how it plays, and in how you can approach it. It loses a few marks because of the constant starting at the beginning each time you play, 
but it's such a strong title that you likely won't care about having to restart. I loved every bit of the exploration, the finding of weird alien species, and the special items you can gain. There's no reason why you shouldn't pick up this Lynx classic whenever you see it, especially if you are a sci-fi fan. What are you waiting for? I agree, John. And you can find a link to his full 2018 review on AtariGamer.com in the Lynx links in the show notes. Now, what about my own review? I like Xenophobe. It's a fun, if difficult, shoot 'em up with great graphics, great gameplay, great sound effects, good use of music, what little there really is of it, and a strong, just one more time aspect to it. I definitely think it is a game that every Lynx owner should have. And if a Lynx owner is not a fan of shmups, well, then he or she should get it just for its wacky characters and frenetic pace. Here's what I like the graphics are great. From the opening cutscene to the crazed activities on screen, especially as the game progresses past level 3. I like that the characters are just goofy enough to make them endearing and personal, despite the fact that the gameplay doesn't depend at all on which character you choose as your avatar. I like the pulsating drumbeat that serves as an underscore during gameplay. It heightens the tension and gives the game a sinister ambiance that the colorful graphics may otherwise negate. I like that the guns in the game possess bottomless ammo even though there is still the danger of dropping or losing the gun in close quarters battle. And I like the subtle and not so subtle strategies required of the player or players during gameplay, such as knowing when to use certain weapons and when not to, knowing whether to crawl into or walk into a given room depending on what Zeno is usually lurking on the other side of the door, being keenly aware of the time remaining until the station self-destructs, and also keeping track of the number of Zenos that are killed as gameplay progresses. Now here's what I don't like. Not much, actually. I know that there's very little in-game music, which is a complaint I've had for several of the early games I've covered already. However, I will say that the lack of music isn't quite as critical in Xenophobe, because the incessant drumbeat underscore serves its purpose to heighten the ominous goings-on in the space station better than any music probably could. The only other thing that I don't like that much in Xenophobe is the frenetic difficulty that assaults the player in the later levels, making it almost impossible to get past the last level with the Mother Festor, or the final boss. But that's it for my dislikes. So here's how many links out of 5 that I'm giving Xenophobe. For gameplay, 5 links. For graphics, 5 links. For controls, 4 links. For music, 4 links. For sound effects, 5 links. And for my overall rating, 4.6 links out of 5. And that's it for reviews for this episode. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this podcast promotion. Hey, you. What ya doing, man? So let's say you want to relive the days of your youth. Well, we have a cure for that. Especially if you're in your 40s and 50s, Zerpinger's 8289 podcast is a recorded journal dedicated to the history of the 80s. It features all the news, music, movies, technology, and even some show and tell from the 80s. Find it at zerpinger.wordpress.com and for you Apple Freaks on iTunes as well. Boy, am I excited. Fun facts and trivia. 
Here are some of the prices you can find at eBay. For a single loose cartridge on eBay, there were four loose carts that were sold in the last 90 days, ranging in price from $23.27 to $32, averaging $27.29. For a single cartridge manual combo on eBay, there was one sold for $33.75. For a single CIB on eBay, there were six listings sold, including two from the UK, two from the Netherlands, one from Spain, and one from the US, all averaging $50.06. For a loose cartridge sold in a lot on eBay, there was one loose cart sold, with a loose cart of Todd's Adventures in Slime World, all for $29.99. For cartridge manual combos sold in a lot on eBay, there was one sold with a cart and manual combos of Chips Challenge, Shanghai, APB, and Blue Lightning, all of it sold for $29.99. For a CIB sold in a lot on eBay, there was one sold from France, with CIB copies of 21 other Atari Lynx games, all for $271.27. Pricecharting.com averages $28.32 for a loose cartridge, $36.34 for a CIB, $111 for a new one, $9.09 for a manual only, and $14.55 for a carton only. Digital Press gives Xenophobe a value of $15 for a loose cartridge. RarityGuide.com gives Xenophobe a value of $42 for a new in-box copy, $20 for a complete in-box copy, and $8 for a loose cartridge. For prices at other retailers, actually, BNC Computer Visions, Best Electronics, The Gamesman in Australia, The Goat Store, Telegames in the UK, and Video 61 and Atari Sales, none of them actually had any copies of Xenophobe for sale. Let's move on to Rarity. Atari Age gives Xenophobe a Rarity score of 3 out of 10, which is scarce. Atari Age says this about scarce games. Scarce cartridges are those that you don't find in every pile, but you will find them often enough. Although you may have trouble tracking down every scarce cartridge initially, you can eventually get them all. AtariGamer.com gives a rarity score of 42 out of 100 for Xenophobe, which means it's in demand. Not easy to find at the usual places. Grab it if you see it. Digital Press had no rarity listing for Xenophobe. And RarityGuide.com gives a rarity score of 65% out of 100% for Xenophobe. Let's look at some high scores. Here are the recorded high scores for Xenophobe at HighScore.com. On actual hardware, 160,000 points by Darth Kerr in North Carolina in 2016, and 80,025 points by Frost in Ireland in 2014. In emulation at HighScore.com, 159,840 points by Original Gamer in San Francisco in 2018 and 76,370 points by Kernsey in London in 2014. The high score at Twin Galaxies, 256,170 points by Mike Morrow in 2003. The high scores for Xenophobe at the Atari Age High Score Club, 2015-2016 round, go this way. Bad Pricey had the highest score with 360,790 points. Darth Kerr, as I mentioned earlier, with 160,000 points. Peyo with 151,555 points. Roadrunner with 76,320 points. And Jay Blenkel with 12,605 points. My own high score was 73,170 points, and I got as far as level 3. Let's move on finally to some cheats and hints. There are two game strategies for Xenophobe which can be found on page 67 of the Atari Lynx Hint Book. 
which was published by Atari in 1993 for Lynx game developers. The first one gives some advice on how to do well in a multiplayer game, and it goes this way. One strategy which works well is to have two groups of two, one going left and one right, or working on separate floors. The front person in each group should have a higher powered, shorter range weapon, such as the electro gun or poofer gun, and the rear person should have the laser. That way the rearmost guy is covering the leader. You have to have non-selfish players though, with regard to goodies. Also on the appropriate levels, the leader should have the fire extinguisher. The second game strategy outlines ways in which to best beat the Mother Festor, or the final boss. Lose your weapon on the next to the last level before the Mother Fester so that you can make sure that you have the laser gun. Go left all the way to the end and kill the stuff hanging from the ceiling. The shots will hit her in the head. You can tell because the percent points go down. Once you kill her, they drop fast. You can keep jumping and firing off shots to kill her. Kind of tough to do with the electro gun since its range is limited, which is why you want the laser. It's not as strong, but it goes much farther. And finally, reviewer Trickster has posted a long and very detailed hint guide on Moby Games for virtually every monster and level in Xenophobe. I won't highlight any of them here just in case you want to work through the game yourself without any help. But if you change your mind, a link to Trickster's hints page on Moby Games is included in the links links in the show notes. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this brief advert. So you want another reason to buy an Atari Lynx? 16-bit action, sports, great sport. We got NFL football, hockey, basketball, baseball heroes. Now Lynx is just $79.99. Lynx has hot arcade hits, Toki, Steel Talons. We've even got pinball jams, two great big pinball machines jammed into one incredible cart. Hey, for a limited time, Lynx is only $79.99. Over 4,000 colors on the largest portable video screen available. So get your shoes and run to the store. You know you want a Lynx. The most fun you can hold in your hands. Links by Atari. Listen to feedback. On Facebook, I got a few comments and messages. Michael Mulhern of the Retro Computing Roundtable podcast said, in response to the release of Episode 07, The Fidelity Ultimate Chess Challenge... Chess must be a boring game in the USA with no kings or queens. And I responded, Yeah, all we have here are jokers. Matt Stevens said this about Xenophobe. One of the best Lynx arcade ports for sure. And Damian Isherwood also wrote, Great port from the arcade. Always brings back childhood memories of the seaside in England when I booted up on my Lynx. Moving on to Twitter, I got a few tweets and messages. Juan Jose Torres at Minima Express said, Man, so hard to find a xenophobe box that is not scratched, dented, crushed, or anything. And he, of course, is referring to the picture I posted. My box has a pretty big gash on the front of it. Continuing, This game is really hard to get CIB in good condition. It took me several tries to get one. I even unknowingly got a rare copy with a booklet in German. Oh, good for you, Juan. Also on Twitter, Grumpmeister at Grumpmeister said, I loved xenophobe but I was rather young while playing it, so it took a while before I understood what you had to do. This is definitely a game I want to revisit after I get the links modded. The multiplayer was also a blast. Enjoyed playing it as the alien versus my brother, smiley face. And finally on Twitter, Chris at 5J Gaming said, It's a good time blasting aliens before they get you. Sounds like a serious game, but it also has a serious sense of humor and is overflowing with charm. Beautiful looking game and multiplayer is the cherry on top. Definitely a must-own Lynx game. 
Moving on to emails, I did receive one. I got an email from Eugenio, also known as TrekMD, on Twitter and Atari Age. Here's what Eugenio had to say about Xenophobe. Xenophobe is one of those arcade games that had a rather unique type of play, as three players could play at the same time on a split screen. The game was clearly inspired by the movie Aliens. When you look at the alien characters, you have to fight through the various star bases you beam into. The arcade game sure was a fun game to play, and the Atari Lynx version is no slouch. This port is remarkable in every way. The graphics are excellent, the sound effects are great, and the gameplay replicates that of the arcade very well. In fact, it does one up over the arcade. Instead of three players, there can be four players at the same time thanks to the Comlinks cables. Any fan of Xenophobe really should give this game a try. It is just excellent. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Thank you so much for your feedback, Eugenio. You're right, of course, that this port of Xenophobe is among the best out there, especially in multiplayer mode. And the game's similarity to the Alien movies, both in setting and the ultimate goals of the game, is pretty obvious. But I see nothing wrong with that fact. Thanks, Eugenio. I really appreciate your email. And moving on to audio submissions, as he is wont to do, Shinto of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast provided me with an audio submission about Xenophobe. Let's listen. We never saw Xenophobe in the arcade, but we played it on the Atari 7800. Oh boy, did we play it on the 7800. My brother and I bought this game at Montgomery Ward, back when that department store existed, of course, and we loved the cooperative action that the game provided, each of us controlling our own big-headed bald guy through the alien-infested stations. We got to know the game very well, very well. So, of course, we're going to get this game for the Atari Lynx, too. It didn't take the bald guy's oversized noggin to know that it was a winner. But what we got... We were expecting something like, you know, the Atari 7800 version, but with better graphics. But what we got was something else entirely. There was a surprise around every corner. And an alien of some sort, too. Here are some examples. First of all, you have a number of different characters to choose from. The bald guy from the 7800 version is apparently named Mr. M. Brace, but you have eight more that you can use. I, of course, always go for Dr. Quack. Whoa, you can see a star field in the background. Hey, you can use the computers and stuff along the back wall. Ooh, you can push the roller babies right out of the room. See, on the 7800, even if the door is open, they bounce back and stay in the room. Oh, cool, you can see a readout for how infested the station is. Oh, you can go outside. You can aim up. That should make the tentacles easier unless they're coming through the floor. Also, the tentacles can come through the floor. Whoa, there's a whole different alien that leans in the doorway and can paralyze you if you're standing up. Whoa, there's a machine that throws grenades around. Hey, watch out for the rooms with the dripping goo on the ceilings. Oh, 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 jetpack! Hey, neat, the door colors change when you go to a different floor. Weird, there's a hole in the middle of this room. Hey, cool, there's a trash can looking thing that can throw out new weapons if yours is destroyed. Neat, there's an automated security drone that's... Why is it shooting me? Whoa, sealed Xeno containment unit. Hey, fire extinguisher. wonder what this is for. Oh, yeah. And man, is this station a mess. Not only was there a marked improvement in the graphics, but the level of interactivity is far beyond the 7800, which I'll remind you was plenty good for us. The one thing the 7800 game could do that the Lynx version could not was have your player smack into the door. If you're jumping around on the 7800, the door might not open in time, and you smack into it and fall down. 
That didn't happen on the Lynx, though I can't say that's a feature we missed. It makes sense that Xenophobe was another one of the games for which we bought a second copy for a Comlinx action. You can apparently go up to four players in this version, which is one more than the arcade. But alas, we played the Comlinx Xenophobe only a fraction of the time that we played the 7800 version, an artifact I'm sure of the years separating the two. I remember the gameplay slowing down a bit too. You do have some slowdown in single player mode at times, and I remember this being far worse in two player. We never tried out the mode where one player controls the Snotter Pillar, which uh, seems like it would be cool, but more fun with two or three other human players joining in. I tried this game out briefly with my son, though this was a couple of years ago and he had trouble getting used to the controls. But now that he's older, I think we should give it another try. Oh, one more thing. Why do so many of the space stations seem to have joypads built into design? I never understood that. Maybe the station architects were gamers too? Wow, Shinto. I wish I had an Atari 7800 to compare Xenophobe gameplay with that of the Lynx. And by the way, I see, or hear rather, that like myself, you prefer the short E versus the long E pronunciation of the game's title. Well done you. Uh, you mentioned Montgomery Ward, a department chain I remember but never had much experience with. I lived in a small town growing up and the biggest department store chain outlet we had was a small Sears catalog center. You mentioned the different characters available in the Lynx version of the Xenophobe and that you prefer Dr. Quack as your avatar. Does that say anything about your personality, Shinto? Maybe that you like ducks? I don't know. You described the goo dripping from the ceiling in some of the levels, and I must say, seeing that goo immediately brought my mind to Todd's Adventures in Slime World, a game I'll be covering on the Handicast in a couple of episodes. Can't say I'm surprised that there's goo in this game. As you know, many of the same folks worked on both games. Finally, I really do hope that you get a chance to play Xenophobe again with your son. Perhaps his mastery of the game's controls has improved since the last time you guys played it. In any case, even if it hasn't improved, bonding with your son in a game of Xenophobe can never be a bad thing, right? Thanks so much for sharing your Xenophobic memories, Shinto, with the Handicast listeners. They are much appreciated. And that's it for listener feedback for Xenophobe. Wrapping it up. So, Monty, now that you know how to deal with your xenophobia, are you feeling any better? Indeed I am. Many thanks. No problem, my friend. Also, you can take comfort in the fact that here on Earth we are unlikely ever to run into any strange alien creatures. You've obviously never attended a comic book convention. Well, yes, be that as it may. I'm just glad that you're feeling much better. In any case, that's it for my coverage of the Atari Lynx title, Xenophobe. And I really hope you all enjoyed my coverage of this phenomenal fun-to-play game. In the next episode, I will be covering a game that everybody knows. Chip's Challenge. So if you have any feedback for episode 09, Chip's Challenge, please try to get that feedback submitted to me as soon as possible so that I can include it in the episode. You can just listen to the ending credits where Monty will tell you how and where to submit it. Episodes of the Handicast coming up after Chip's Challenge are Episode 10, Todd's Adventures in Slime World Episode 11, Zarlorn Mercenary. Episode 12, Clax. Episode 13, Warbirds. And Episode 14, Kicks or Quicks. Join me then, won't you? Until then, keep on linksing.
leaving so soon? Thanks are in order for the free music archive, which allows for the song 8-Bit Core by Tagirigus to be used as the opening and closing theme music for the Atari Lynx Handicast under the Creative Commons license. The free music archive also allows for the following songs and artists to be used in this episode. Catching Rays, Starlight, The Dead of Night, Sleep Tight Sweet Dreams Don't Have Nightmares, and Into the Ether, all by Psychedelic Pedestrian. I would also like to thank Ferg of the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, Shinto of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast, and Zerby of the many Zerbinator Land podcasts, including the excellent Please Stand By podcast. The help and inspiration that Ferg, Shinto, and Zerby have provided in my brief podcasting experience are invaluable to me, and I really appreciate it. Finally, I would also like to give my heartfelt thanks to my beautiful wife, Lizzie. She has put up with me and with this strange podcasting thing with the patience of a saint, and I could never fully repay her, but I will definitely try. That's nudge, snap, snap, grin, grin, wink, wink, sign them all. The Atari Lynx Handycast is a proud member of the Throwback Network. You can listen to all of the great retro-themed podcasts on the network, including this one, by visiting throwbacknetwork.net. Episodes of the Atari Lynx Handycast can be found on Apple Podcasts. Please take time to leave a review of the Atari Lynx Handycast on Apple Podcasts so that other interested listeners can easily find the Handycast. You can also find the Atari Lynx Handycast on Stitcher, on Google Play Music, and on TuneIn. While you're at it, be sure to check out the Atari Lynx Handycast website at atarilynxhandycast.net. All of the episodes can be found there, including show notes and a list of upcoming episodes. And you can visit the Atari Lynx Handycast blog page at atarilynxhandycast.blogspot.com. Also, you can subscribe to the Atari Lynx Handycast on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash Atari Lynx Handycast. And you can follow the Atari Lynx Handycast on Twitter. Just search on Twitter for Lynx Handycast. Finally, you can send Mark Little an email and let him know what you think about any episode of the Atari Lynx Handycast. You can also provide your own feedback about any Atari Lynx games. And you can even suggest future topics or possible interview subjects to future episodes. Or you can just simply say, hi. Just write to him at, mark, at, atarilynxhandycast.net. Thank you, for listening to this episode, of the Atari Lynx Handycast. This is Montague Habersham, wishing you a good evening. The carton for Xenophobe... <laughs> the carton for Xenof... The cover art is a monochrome version of the cover... The cover art is the... The cover art is a monochrome... Dr. Pink, a female with blowing... <laughs> With blowing blonde hair. Score. 
at the lower left right. <laughs> at the lower left right. Okay. Up, down, forward, to the back. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypogeeby. Hypogeeby? Hypogeeby jibidibidi. Handicast is made possible by a grant from the Telesearch Group and by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you.